0: Hi, guys, and welcome to Wemcast with me, Owen Walker. Um, I'm back today speaking to a colleague and friend, uh, Matt Walton. How are you, mate? You're all right.
1: I'm all right. Thank you very much for having me again.
0: No, not, not a problem at all. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, Matt, just for people who, who might not have caught the first episode of me and you talking together, just just for listeners, could you just give people a quick background of, of, of what you do and uh, what your uh, what your role is at the moment within the NHS?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, Matt Walton. I'm an A&E doctor working in London, uh, which in this context is one of the uh, worst affected areas by the coronavirus outbreak. Um, and so we thought hopefully we can have a chat that will be as useful as as the previous one was and give some insight into what the situation is. That's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely, Matt. Absolutely. So just looking
0: um, at where you are now from where you you were a couple of weeks ago, um, just within the current climate and within your colleagues and just just within how things might have changed. How are some of the the dynamics at the moment, Matt?
1: Um, So I think overall, uh, we're probably just kind of getting to the point of exhaustion and, and, and tiredness now. Uh, it's been a number of weeks sort of working through the, the peak of the virus. And I think it just uh, uh, yesterday that there's been announced that there's been 15,000 deaths across the UK. Um, so there's been an enormous amount of super unwell patients coming into the emergency department. Uh, some unfortunately have died and and we've, we've had a, a huge amount of deaths in and out of the hospital. Uh, a lot of our colleagues and staff have been off sick in in in, in massive numbers and uh, unfortunately as well we've we've actually had some staff deaths which which is tragic and despite that, people are still working they're still showing immense bravery and immense resilience to continue and and suppose we are then seeing some positive signs of of the lockdown working and and the case numbers starting to actually fall coming into our emergency department. Uh, So, so there is, there is some still level of of hope, but I think, you know, people have kind of been through hell really in in the last, in the last few weeks.
0: Gosh, listen, we'll touch on all those points because I think all of them are really valuable points just to unpick and just to, just to do a deep dive on, but just, just a notion towards a sense of coming into sort of more familiarity with, with PPE and this sense of, routine and almost ritualistic practice from from start to end of shift is that something you've kind of had to is that almost a new normal for you?
1: Yeah exactly so so I I was saying the the other day that we we were actually all marveling at a a chest x-ray that just said normal radiograph as the report uh, because we've seen so many chest x-rays that are just uh, horrific in appearance with coronavirus and and it had almost become that that was the only condition we we 'd seen to the point where you you were almost worried that that people with other conditions weren 't coming in like heart attacks and strokes and were staying at home uh, but i think some yeah some things as you say in in developing a routine have been helpful in reducing the stress so we 've had a, a lot less daily changes of guidance on protective equipment and and structural changes in the organization and changing areas where we're working daily which is it's helpful and 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 things like if resources permit uh, I've got a like a waterproof case for my phone at the end of the shift now if there's a chlorine wipe available I'll try and wipe everything and my visor change my shoes put everything into a bag in my locker go home shower uh, take all, all the clothes off and and kind of decontaminate to then get back in the house and i think that kind of developing a routine around that has been helpful um and then also it's it's important to remember as well that that though there's some things that are helpful about the routine then then obviously the routine is a routine of abnormality and and of uh, sometimes even onslaught of of back to back intubations and palliations and really really sick people um, and and I think that you know that's a routine that 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 isn't pleasant at the same time as well. Yeah, absolutely,
0: Matt, absolutely. So just before we do a deep dive into some of the some of the sort of extreme physiology that you've seen around around saturations and patients desaturating, just just notioning back towards the level of fatigue that you've been experiencing and the team's been experiencing, um, <clears throat> it must it must have it, you must have seen the attrition of both human factors and just personal fatigue. Just having to, like I said, live in PPE, but also just do extensive shifts in a, in an and in 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 a climate which has got a lot a high acuity of really sick people. Um, has that lent itself to almost the longevity of just 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 chronic fatigue almost?
1: Yeah, and, and I think you you sort of wonder at this stage it, you know it what what will the end point be and and how possible is it to sustain that 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 level of, of, of working and, and hopefully you know it will start to level off but but I think uh, you know people now are going to be showing the, those signs of, of kind of reaching almost a, a breaking point I'm sure um, and and have a lot of things that they've sort of shelved in order to keep keep moving and keep keep going forwards that that they really kind of need time to to address and, and process um and, and i think you know it's not normal for any of us and we have to recognize that that the the frequency of of extremely unwell patients will will have a toll and, and i think that especially just even wearing the kit all day is is just tiring and just exhausting
0: yeah yeah, absolutely absolutely matt so just pivoting slightly now and actually looking at some of those cases so looking at some of the some of the sick cases. Again, has it become a new normal to see some of this extreme physiology that you might actually be akin to sort of high altitude, high altitude medicine with extreme, extremely desaturated patients?
1: Definitely. So so I was was trying to look up to to sort of contextualise how. Unwell and how low the oxygen levels are in people that we're seeing and and some of the worst cases that we've seen who come up to a and E and are still just about conscious have got saturation sort of in the 50s which, which uh, to contextualize to someone who's not used to that is is the same as as roughly what was measured on Mount Everest at the highest point uh, from from arterial samples of, of climbers where they've recorded the lowest levels in existence in the world um, and and these patients obviously are, are sick and are what you would call peri-arrests, and any moment they might go into a low-oxygen cardiac arrest where the heart stops because of the low levels of oxygen, and and sometimes this overt skin changes and widespread mottling of of them, and and uh, in one case in particular, I remember it was it was literally a case of holding the oxygen mask on their face and and doing what we call proning which is a a positional change to put them chest to the to the table uh to change the 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 dynamics in the lungs which is is meant to help slightly and and literally just holding the mask on their face and willing them to breathe and and out of the corner of your eye then you've got the team who are getting prepared outside of of the of the isolation room in order to do the risky procedure with that low oxygen level of of intubating the patient, which is the process of putting them onto a ventilator. Um, but but in 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 a, f- a few cases, then we have seen that that they over a few days in intensive care have actually improved, um, and that's and that's you know an an extreme example of of pure. Life-saving in action, where where if every step of that chain, from the paramedics picking them up right when they did at home, to them coming in and, and receiving the, the treatments they need, and then going on a ventilator, didn't happen exactly when it did, then then they for sure would have died. So, um, so that's a, a you know a, a good example of, of how we're able to, to still save people. Uh, But equally, as I'm sure uh, many of our pre-hospital colleagues and and colleagues on the wards and in in intensive care will know that the death rate is actually extremely high when you're kind of getting into the need to be ventilated type situation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just from my own experience, really, over the past few weeks as a critical care paramedic, um, those that, that, that those arrests that have gone um that that have uh, that we've have fallen off the cliff and gone into cardiac arrest it, it's it's almost 100% mortality really because the, there's just because of the underlying respiratory pathology and underlying comorbidities of of asthma and or COPD just you know uh, chronic respiratory disease it, in a lot of the patients it does compound uh, the fact that we're not we're, we're, not, we're not getting um we're not really seeing any return of circulation uh, in in this patient. And it's very difficult. So to sort of pivot slightly, Matt, and look at the the really difficult and challenging part of that. Um, I know you said before, and we were speaking just earlier about some difficult conversations when patients are coming in. And they're either being ventilated or have got really low saturations are you seeing that difficult conversation around palliation around just around what what do you want for your loved one a lot sooner in the in the the patient journey
1: yeah definitely and i I think yeah as as i said i I can't really imagine what that must be like in in the pre-hospital field and i'm sure it'd it'd be good to hear about your experiences as well but the um, a lot of the a lot of the patients, I'm I'm getting used now to having these conversations with them extremely early, and 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 to the point where sometimes if if there's a short delay with them getting it into the hospital, I'll even be proactive and be going out into the ambulances, and and once I've found out the the other information medically that we need, um, if if I'm looking at the person and 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 if it crosses my mind that there's a real chance they could deteriorate and die over the next few hours. I'll, I'll make sure I, I try and have that conversation with them there and then, whilst they're still conscious, because it could be the last opportunity. Um, and and that involves um, mainly trying to understand them and understand what their priorities are in that situation, and 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 kind of uh, uh, if if it's appropriate to do so, sharing that thought with them that it could be a terminal a terminal event, um, and. And and I often, I try to write down everything that they say at that point because it could be the last record of it. Especially, uh, obviously, family comes up quite a lot. And if they have, you know, if they say something nice about their own family, or if if they've they want to be speaking to someone and want to have someone on the phone at that time, you know, trying to make those things happen. Um, and and then the, you know daft things like like a patient wanted some ice cream, and so we kind of made a special effort to send someone around the hospital running to get them some ice cream and that that, that kind of thing. Um, but then, and then of course, yeah, you, you just get the tragic and and very poignant moments where all you can do is kind of hand holding and and you know stroking a person's hand and 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 being that uh, I suppose that family for them that they don't have in that situation and and that's uh, you know incredibly impactful and it, it strips you know that dynamic away from you as a as a clinician and, and your protective equipment and the person where, you know you are just two humans really. Um, and I think, you know, obviously that, that is, that is a privilege and it's incredibly sad as well, um, to, 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 to have that sort of situation happening. And and if that happens so regularly, I guess, you know, that, that is going to have an effect that that kind of situation happening so, so regularly. Um, but yeah, but but I'd be really interested to hear what, what your experience has been like in, in the pre-hospital environment.
0: Yeah. So, so very, um, similar, really, really Matt, actually having early conversations with, with family members, with next, next of kin, um, it's been, it's been really quite truly difficult actually, um, getting, especially getting there as a critical care paramedic when, when the, when the patient's already died, uh, because it does carry such a high mortality rate. Um, I was just, you know, confronted with lots of death notification messages, just breaking bad news, um, um, over these past few weeks, um, to the point where some of them, uh, I've i've not been able to tell i've been able to tell the next of kin that the wife or the husband. but i you know i was i was stood in front of a three beautiful lovely young daughters um you know ages between five and 12 years old um and this, this i just they wanted to know how their daddy was and this i just couldn't actually convey that message to them um yeah the mother sp- didn't speak any english she spoke her foreign language they spoke perfect english and and it's situations that you're sort of parachuted into like that that i there's almost no words for sometimes and yeah. and and it and it, and it uh, you know i managed to we managed to convey to the wife and and get her on side and use a, a translator but it's, it's 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 crashing through situations like that five or six times a day that uh, that just uh, uh, is extremely difficult, actually. And I did a shift in the control room yesterday, and I'm actually working tonight in the control room. And what we're seeing at the moment, Matt, is a real proliferation and spread within the care homes and nursing homes. And actually, that's really difficult because um, there's a lot of palliative. There's a lot of palliation that needs to take place that 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 might not have been put in place. And actually, we need emergency. Procedures because these people are polymorbid. They've got you know multiple comorbidities. They're they're old. Maybe they've not been, maybe they've not been um had a a a, a do not resuscitate um order, but it actually needs to be the case and and or otherwise. So each 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 situation is unique. But when you're getting you know five or six of these difficult conversations on the phone yesterday i was you know having to make and or escalate some of these really difficult situations and conversations with paramedic colleagues i i i i I had to take a little bit of time out actually yesterday because it was it was literally you know almost on the minute every minute there was another there was another cardiac arrest and or palliation palliation case within another care home because there's i mean there's 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 almost thousands of care homes within london and and we are seeing the spread at the moment and and as you know matt you know cardiac arrest is not formulaic you know our guidelines are formulaic uh and sequential um but 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 patients aren't sequential they're actually everything but sequential. They, they they can deviate from guidance, deviate from from norms. Um, what was it, a non-shockable rhythm is now shockable rhythm. Is then a non-shockable rhythm is then uh, has then got got underlying pathology which hasn't been. There's a lots of. It, it, it's not it's not straightforward and it's not simple yeah, yeah. and to your earlier point it, it, it adds a lot of stress because you 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 can't almost you, you want to give that patient as much as possible um and and not and, and not necessarily a formulaic approach um but you're right it's it's it, it's as you it, as to our earlier conversation it's much more like war at wartime medicine because it's we're, we're seeing just a higher a higher caseload you know where junior paramedics now see sh- should see one one cardiac arrest every 6 months to a year they're seeing cardiac arrests every shift every shift and and you know i'm used to seeing cardiac arrests every shift but but the frequency and and the em- emotive situations you're being placed in you know talk about time really to truly become mindful and and to to really sort of let yeah. things go after a shift because you know like you, you know if you carry things through um so just just to just before I just ask you another question actually um, we're actually seeing a a higher rate of mental health within the community um even to the point i mean some of the things I actually can't talk about on 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 the podcast of some of the some of the um some some of the suicides I've been to um and hangings and other other way forms of suicide, but there was a um some there is even some um, NHS workers over the past few days have have uh, have, have, uh, have, have have committed suicide, which which is um, which is um, just shocking, really, and and harks towards not only the actual stress that we are under as clinicians, but just you know the social situations they may be living in, the stress that they might may be feeling, the, the you know the, the the arduousness of the of the tasks, the the human factors. And um, and and that's been really difficult to see that from a from a clinician to clinician perspective when it's one of when it's some of our colleagues and um, I know yeah. you've had a because it's not necessarily been a, um, a suicide but you've you've there has been a death of a of some colleagues is that am I correct in saying so
1: yeah so so I, I, yeah and I think it's just an all it's an awful situation isn't it um, and I think just just to just to touch briefly on on what you're saying, I think there's just such difficult working environments, new and yeah. extremely difficult decisions to be made uh, regularly, and 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 ultimately at the end of the day, you know, if 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 you don't care and you and you're not affected in some way than this, that then you know that, that it's probably a sign that you're human, the fact that you are, and and that that you still care. So um so it's it's so important that i think you know as as we're doing now that we just talk about these things and that you know if if you're really getting down actually to know that that's quite normal in this situation it's a normal reaction to abnormal events and the most important thing is just talking to someone about it no matter how you're feeling they'll listen and, and it'll be helpful um but but yeah we've we've had um you know a a lot of staff absence an enormous amount of of people who've been off sick enormous colleagues just dropping like flies um and 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 that comes with you know a lot of anxiety about your you know your your own welfare and 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 kind of making preparations for becoming sick yourself and 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 protecting your family members um and people you live with and, and care about and and then um yeah and and we've unfortunately we've had a, a number of, of deaths in our in our organisation and and i think uh you know i'll kind of cover one of them and i think we you know we have obviously talked about addressing this subject because it's a really it's it's such a sensitive subject uh, but equally I, th- I think we're both agreed that we shouldn't try to shy away from it and we should try and talk about it because it, it's part of the reality and, um, and we sort of we owe it to, to mention it um, but I think yeah it's an awful situation if uh, if a colleague uh, or another NHS worker is, has died um, and I think your heart immediately goes out to their family and the the just tragic situation that they found themselves in um and and I think I, I thought I'd try and share some observations on that uh which might be helpful um and, and productive to, to go through and and that's uh so so without obviously identifying the person and being really sensitive to, to their situation uh so so when uh, I'll I'll start with when we were told about the death of one of our colleagues and that was with a a, a few of us in A&E in the middle of a shift and and one of our colleagues uh, came up to us and essentially said the name of our colleague and told us that they had died um and I think when you when you receive that that news um at first it obviously just seems unbelievable because you know you were talking to them just just a week or two ago, um and they were so very much alive and and you know it's just it's not normal it's what's not what's supposed to happen um and and then obviously, with a few follow up questions to try and verify that news and try and understand if that really is true um then I think all of us kind of sat there in in silence and some people you know welling up um and and i think something to be aware of if in that situation if that does happen is is your ability to be safe for the rest of the shift because i think if you're being delivered such a horrible piece of news and i'm sure Uh, equally if other really grim things are happening in the middle of the shift then just being aware of the effect that that will have on you and and trying to make sure that you're safe to continue the shift because often it's not practical to to pull out of the shift and 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 you know and you're not able and you're not permitted to have a kind of an emotional reaction to it um but having said that obviously the, the reactions of individuals are mixed and 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 varied and and we you know had people who were in denial and and got straight back on with work who were uh, visibly uh full of emotion and sadness and and grief who are the people who are furious and 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 angry and and i'm sure you know you can imagine why and and the elephant in the room is is sort of the word preventable um and 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 thinking of you know you know about regret and and all these what if questions um and not that that's necessarily true, but obviously it's what it's what is on people's minds and and then and then thinking uh, you know uh, then to themselves and their own families and thinking, oh well it could be me next and and I've got you know a wife or I've got children and i've you know they can't afford to lose me and 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 I you know need to be as careful as I can from now on um and and then you know that then I'm sure everyone goes home and deals with it in their own way. And people who are closer to that individual, I'm sure, will be impacted more. And and of course their family. And then and then afterwards, we got an official email uh, saying that and confirming that. For, and I'm sure most people weren't really believing it until it was confirmed officially. And um, and then and then after that, people I suppose kind of stopped. Mentioning it and stopped bringing it up, and and of course, initially there's everyone kind of telling their stories and and trying to remember the person, Um, and and that is a little confusing on on the face of it. But actually, talking to another colleague uh, who is in the military, they've kind of helped me to understand it in that it's a it's part of a coping mechanism of of a bunch of individuals who are still kind of in the firefight, so to speak. You know, they can't afford to lose focus, otherwise, it could be them next. And, and they still have a job to do. There's still more patients to to see, and those who are salvageable. So, so, so I think people might, after a while, stop bringing it up. And, and I think I even had some nightmares about actually delivering that news to other people and other colleagues because it's so impactful for them and so hurtful and so so affecting. Like you don't, you almost don't want to want to be the, the bearer of that news to another individual, um, and. Uh, but i think the thing that we need to be aware of and and another observation is that we we simply have not had the time to adequately grieve or process that situation a, at all and i think that's another thing to be aware of if if that is something that unfortunately we we've had to experience being aware that actually we you know we won't have had any time to process this properly um and possibly you know following the the example that the military have in that they have uh you know, moments created and memorials and spaces where teams can come together again and have that moment sort of after the firefight is over and after there's a bit of time to to sort of permit people to to experience that emotion that they've they've been deprived of in in that first instance. Um so I think they're, they're kind of my observations on on the topic. But I think you know at the end of the day it's just it's just awful for everyone really. I I think it's not really it's it's, it's
0: it's tragic, Matt. But listen, that's a really that's a really powerful and or and precious recollection, actually. And and whilst whilst you know not going into details, it still it still is is very honest and uh, and transparent. So I thank you for that because it's it's. I think you're right. In this time, it's it's. It's valuable to be honest about recollection and and just and just and just give people a a, a real perspective of of, of what what it is like on the front line, both from an in-hospital and pre-hospital perspective. So I I, I think that's so so looking at that, Matt, um, and I think you make a valuable point about having time to process things and just flicking it round slightly on its head. I know one of your, you know, uh, someone you've been speaking to, and I, someone I love dearly, is uh, a colleague and friend of ours, Esther Murray, and and also Mike Christian, and and others. Um, so. Uh, Esther looks at the, the process of moral injury, you know, just having to having to come to terms with things that you, you may never have actually been trained for, might never have actually psychologically prepared for, um, but actually come face-to-face with for the first time in something like a pandemic, in something where there's quick su- succession of very almost quite devastating circumstances and or events. Um, but I understand you're writing an empirical paper Right now, or, or how actually have done with both Esther and and Mike? What's 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 that about, Mike?
1: Um, so uh, so we've had the opportunity extended to us uh, to try and uh, produce a, a piece of work that essentially tries to answer the question: How how on earth do you actually support staff who are going through all of this stuff at this time? Um and um we we've we've tried to create something that uh is useful and and pragmatic and practical for for organizations for teams and individuals uh and so the first thing we did was look at was was look at uh previous uh research on on the topic and we've seen that actually uh, almost uh, to some comfort the experiences that we're all having now the good the bad and the ugly are all similar to what's been experienced in other pandemics uh, and disasters. And for example, uh, in the Toronto hospitals, in the SARS outbreak, or in swine flu, um, and in in Ebola, these concerns that we all have and these experiences actually have been had before, and there's lessons that we can learn from them. So we've tried to capture some of that and then kind of, as you say, go into some of the pathology and explaining, you know, what is moral injury, what are acute stress reactions, how high would the rate of PTSD be uh, for people going forwards, Um, and then try to to split it up into what we as individuals can do for ourselves and and about that self-care, what we can do for our colleagues and and what we can do if we're leaders and teams, and then also what organisations can do um, and and I think you know little things like making sure that you do have a plan for if if a colleague or or a staff member do, uh, does die and and how you can support them and their family and and how you can support the uh, the the staff who are remaining and then lots of other things that that hopefully will find uh, it will be helpful for people to read.
0: That's listen. That's absolutely fantastic. So yeah, it's addressing individual needs. Uh, team needs and organizational needs, which I think is fi- a fantastic way to break it down, mate. Actually, because you can then really start to address from a person level to a, to a, to almost a global level or a, or, a, or certainly a collective level. Um, you know, your own needs, team, and organization. I think that's a fantastic way to break it down, mate.
1: Yeah, so 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 hopefully hopefully that'll be useful. And I think uh, you know there's the examples at all levels of, of things that we can do. For example, in in our organization. Uh, our consultants have been incredibly proactive and and really excellent, actually, at, at trying to change our, the structure of the organization and our work environment in order to, to make us better. And, and I think the first thing of a, of a responsible organization is to look into themselves and think, actually, what were all the things that were stressing people out first before this even came? And that's, you know, shift working, working night shifts. Uh, resource capacity demands that already existing corridor medicine, you know, and and food and drink, you know, not providing milk or tea facilities. Th- these basic things that are actually the things that are going to be more important in people's mental health, um, and and existence at work than any individual factors that they can bring. And, um, and then trying to tackle those and then also think about what are the new issues and, you know, protective equipment is a good example of that. You know, the, the first thing that you can do to support staff mental health is make sure that you've got good protective equipment available. Um, and then the, the sort of icing on the cake is developing uh, sort of programs where you can catch staff if they then become ill, like, you know, psychologist support and that sort of thing. Um, and then... Team factors. So, so uh, looking at leadership and and uh, what characteristics leaders can bring to the table in order to support their teams, and then looking at colleague factors. You know, if you're a colleague of someone, just what signs and then that you can spot if they're you know they're not okay, um, or if you're worried. And essentially, the message is just to talk to someone about it and just seek some advice, and and then kind of just talk to them and and just be reassuring, be consistent, be kind, and then going on to the individual factors what we we've, we've discussed before is just the going to the basics of you know like what normally works for you and trying to address those those basics of sleep and and food and and exercise hydration that that are probably missing uh, and 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 trying to you know just just go go for that and also you know talking to friends and family and and I have found that really easy for myself earlier in the week when I, I w- wasn't feeling so as very positive that actually just going outside Going on a a walk in the sunshine, talking to a few good friends like that actually really cheers me up, and 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 that's that's useful, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic, Matt. That's fantastic, and like you said, it's it's almost a toolkit approach, which which is something we we need to adopt too much because it's, it's it's fantastic to just to have you know, sequentially five or six different things you can do for yourself, for your team, or indeed for your organization. And even as we said we, we said previously, you know, having a 10 for 10, having the first 10 minutes of a shift to really illustrate the next 10 hours, right? Guys, this is how many patients we've got in the department. This is this is what majors, this is what resources are looking like. This is what minors is looking like. Um, this is how many patients we've seen in the last 12 hours. Um, these are the underlying issues. But having that 10 for 10 and just really almost sharing the mental model Um, and we have the 10 seconds for the next 10 minutes in pre-hospital care because as you know pre-hospital care is distilled is a distilled version of 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 in-hospital care and it's it's like a microcosm of what you you might see over a protracted period so instead of having 10 minutes for 10 hours we have 10 seconds for 10 minutes and i'll say guys right everyone around okay we've done a b c d e what do we need to do now right we haven't done this we haven't done that we haven't done this and so it's 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 a microcosm of what you might see um and it's but really useful because it gets everyone on the same page. Everyone then has situation awareness and then everyone can, can then go forward with, 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 with a sort of a ubiquitous mind frame of what we're trying to achieve, which is, which is really useful, but might just pivoting slightly because I think that's really positive and really useful. And it's a really, that, that kind of toolkit is necessary. So looking at how the nations responded through this pandemic and since we last spoke, um, there seems there's a there's a few fundamental things which of appreciation which we probably both noticed. Um, what what have you sort of noticed over the past couple of weeks and a month um, that the nation's done?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's obviously really important that, that we try and focus on some positives, and I think that the nation has definitely provided those. Uh, so I think, uh, firstly, just the the small things that everyone's been doing by adhering to the lockdown, I think, is is actually the most important thing that people have been doing um, because that's not you know it's not glamorous, but that is actually reducing the caseload. And we're seeing that now in in A&E. That's great. Um, And then obviously then there's the more dramatic things like, like when you're Sitting in on a what is it a Thursday, and then suddenly hear a, a clattering of pans outside, and then you go out, go outside, look out the window, and the whole street's erupted, um, and uh, yeah, and then you, you know that's really nice because you know you can take a moment to sort of wave at people like the Queen and <laughs> and hold up your uh, like this. My my sister sent me this <laughs> as a little as a little yeah. postcard uh, which just says thank you, Doctor M, uh, and uh, and she things just awesome. just all those little things are, are lovely. Um, and and uh, I think um, you know the, the other things like uh, the some of the offers and the deals that have been available to us, some of the the little helpful things like car insurance, uh, the access being taken away just helped me because my windscreen is smashed recently, and, and just, you know li- little things like that that are practical and and tangible and are really helpful, um, and, and and then uh, there's there's been other lovely moments like our. Especially in the light of all of the the sadness and the death that we've had, it's made those moments of recovery so special. And and um, you know, having patients leave the hospital now and having staff members who who we've we've seen admitted and, and treated, then leaving healthy and fit uh, is is just uh, they're extremely special uh, as well to to have. Um, yes, yeah, so there's been there's been a lot. There's there there are positives in this situation that that we can find and that we can appreciate. Um. Absolutely. Yeah, and and uh, I I saw it just as an as a nice uh, quote. I I saw that I've written down. Um, the captain Tom Moore, who is the, uh, World War Two veteran, who's been. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I think we can all we can also thank you thank you to him for his ex- epic work. Uh. Going up and down his garden, raising millions of pounds uh, for for charity, and and I think you know he's someone that has been through a lot himself, and and something that he said was, we have to carry on and remember that things will get better. We've had problems before, and we overcame them. We will overcome this, and that I thought that was quite a nice thing that he said.
0: Yes, and that's fantastic, and that's probably a really good place to uh, to 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 leave this conversation. Just before we do because that's that's a lovely quote actually and it it, it, i think it means a lot from someone who's just approaching his 100th birthday who's who's lived through um well was probably born when the spanish flu in 1920 was uh was still was was still here so um he's he's lived through um yeah uh two world wars and and um and And a pandemic already, probably more than one pandemic to be honest, but yeah. <laughs> um, it's fantastic um so so just just to finish off Matt just just for another sort of message to the community, really, because um, I think it's, it's it's powerful from being on the front line um that that not only is this conversation positive it's just that you've you've weathered some of the waves and actually which you, which you have done really you know really well um have you got a message? um for the community, just as we sort of come into land um as we as this as we're we're in the, the next stages of this of this pandemic? Uh
1: I think it you know it would just be thank you for all of the incredible support. Um that 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 we we've received and it, and it does the, the little things that that people have been doing and and the and the real meaningful shows of support that people have had and 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 respect for for NHS staff and, and appreciation and everyone else who's involved in the effort and all of the uh, other healthcare workers and people affiliated with uh, the situation key workers um, as as been as been pretty amazing and and I think you know ultimately the, the real important thing that people are doing is is adhering to to the guidelines of staying at home and and that is really making a difference in the hospitals and we have seen over the last week the cases that are coming into A&E are starting to drop now um and 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 that's that's all due to everyone else who's who's been at home and and doing their part so um thanks yeah,
0: listen, that's powerful, Matt, and um, it's almost as powerful as the mustache, which is equally as powerful. Um,
1: <laughs> I should actually explain that before before we go in. That obviously it's a it's nothing else but a cry for help. But I, I think um, it's uh, it's also actually a practical tool because uh, if if you forget to wear your mask at, at any point, people are much quicker to point out your, your horrible mustache than they are to uh pointing out that you're not wearing adequate PPE. So actually it's it's a it's a little safety net for me. <laughs> Mate, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant.
0: Matt, you're an absolute legend and um I always love chatting to you. Um so let's let's touch base again and um, but thanks ever so much for your time today.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Owen. It's lovely to speak to you and, and keep well, keep safe.